Hey everybody, this is Mike Van Meter and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. And I want to thank you for joining me and you can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. And this podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction and offer help and support to those that are suffering from this debilitating and devastating disease. And so this episode is sponsored by FHE Health, a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. So take the first steps to a better life today by visiting FHEHealth.com. And folks, uh, you know, I have a special guest today. And our guest is someone that was introduced to me by a friend of mine that um, we... You had heard in a previous podcast, and uh, that friend of mine is Mark Fetzer, and, and those of you that listen to this podcast may remember that Mark and some of his uh, sheriff's deputy friends are going to be rowing across the Atlantic later this year to raise uh, awareness for suicide prevention. And uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, please go back and do it. His name is Mark Fetzer, and I think that's just a crazy idea that he has for going across the Atlantic, but I'm also fascinated by it, too, and... Uh, I have to say that I considered joining his team, but my wife wouldn't let me do it. I've done a lot of crazy things in my life, but she said, you know what, I'm drawing the line there. You're not going to do it. So uh, apparently I'm worth more alive than dead because uh, she reviewed the insurance policy and uh, said, nope, I need to keep you around a little bit longer. But I was introduced to uh, Addie Benton- Bentoncourt, uh, who's going to be on the podcast today, and she has her own podcast, and it's called Over a Cup of Coffee, and please check that out. And she's going to be talking to us about her recovery experience and it's sort of the, her philosophies because, uh, you know, recovery is, there's certain patterns that are universal to recovery, but then we individualize our recovery to ourselves in, in the way that we think and the way that we're motivated and the way that we're triggered. So she's going to talk to us a bit about uh, how she got into recovery, maybe parts of her story, how we got here, and you know what is it that she does to stay sober today and some just general thoughts on recovery. So with that, Eddie, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Mike, thank you so much. It's uh, already been a pleasure, our, our quick introduction. I, I'm, I'm so happy that Mark thought of me when we were, when we were having coffee together and, 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 and thought of you and putting us together. So this is exciting and one of my favorite topics. Well, first off, you are a friend of Mark Fetzer's and yeah. you know about this project they have about growing yes, across they- the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah, conquer your three thousand. Oh my goodness, there! I wanted to jump in too. I think we were talking a little bit earlier. I was like, when I first met them and found out what was happening, what they were doing, what it was for, I was like, oh my goodness, how do I do it? Where do I sign up? I want to <laughs> go. I even, I did even buy my own rowing machine, which was was one of my one of my goals to have eventually one day in my life. But I thought it was maybe later on down the road, maybe a retirement. <laughs> so. Well, I have not ruled it out. Maybe for. Uh, you know, future endeavors, because it's, I, I think Mark and, and his friends, they're all kind of wired to do these sorts of things, but I can't do it this year. My schedule's too tight. And like I said, uh, you know, I, I do answer to a higher power and that is my, my wife and she's not letting me do it. You know, we all have a higher power, don't we? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Maybe yeah, recovery. A, right. Yeah, exactly. I've got a few of them that are like, mm, I'm, I've been, I've been hitting you right in the forehead with the sign saying you can't do this. <laughs> exactly. But it's so exciting. I'm glad that Mark introduced us. And uh, so you tell us a bit about yourself. 
Okay, so um, of course you said I'm Addie Betancourt. I uh, live in Farmington, New Mexico, which is in the northwest corner of the state of New Mexico. So where um, the four states meet, we're in, what called, we're in what's called the Four Corners area. So Arizona, Utah, Colorado, New Mexico. I'm right there in the corner. And um, I also have a podcast. It's like you said, over a cup of coffee with Jamie and Addie. Um, we talk about pretty much anything positive in building community. So anything you can take to whatever community you're living in and run with. So if it's fundraising, if it's gardening, if it's reading, if it's writing, if it's painting, whatever, whatever you can talk about with a friend over a cup of coffee and then go out and make better, better things happen in your space. So well, I, I guess that. we should start off when uh, let, let's then imagine you and I are sitting down a cup of coffee because, you know, in the recovery right. world, like at AA meetings, there's a lot of coffee. No shortage <laughs> of that. Lots of coffee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I was excited to learn that you are in recovery yourself. And I so if I was sitting down talking to you about it, like, what would you tell me? Yeah. So I um, am excited to say that I just um, completed my sixth year of recovery from alcohol abuse. So um, that was on April 2nd of this year, 2022. That is awesome. And yeah, yeah. It's so, it's, it's so surreal. You know, every year that passes, um, you know, every now and then I look at my counter and I go, oh, wow, it's 2,000 days. And then I maybe put a post up that says, you know, I, I hit 2,000 days. And here's what I learned. And here's how I felt at 900. And, and you know, and I, I always look back. I always look back to how did I feel at that milestone? And how did I feel at this one? And what did I learn? And where am I at? And where am I going? And I, I'm, I'm a big goal setter and and you know those those goals if i can see them and i know they're you know i know they're attainable and what do i have to do to get there and this my recovery is kind of set up the same way like how how are you better than you were yesterday and then as i reach these milestones and months and days and years how am i going to be better next year at this time what what did i do in my seventh year when we're closing it out next year you know and um so but but coming into this, I, uh, you know, we, I, I have a great family, both, both sides, both parents, both sides, amazing family, had an amazing childhood. I didn't go without ever. I traveled, I skied, I worked, I babysat, I helped, you know, we, we come from a long line of entrepreneurs. So a lot of the families owned their own businesses. Um, and everybody had a lot of freedom and drinks were had if it was a birth, if it was a wedding, if it was a funeral, if it was a birthday party, an anniversary, Mother's Day, you know, we, we celebrated. And I only saw the good side of, of alcohol growing up and I didn't really see the negative side of it. And, and so I didn't know if people were suffering when I lost um, a great uncle I didn't know that his cancer that he passed away from was actually cirrhosis of the liver. You know, we those were things that weren't really talked about in the late 80s and early 90s. And I was still a little young, and so they probably thought I didn't need to know anyway. Um, you know, going forward, I figured out that I could drink a lot, and then if I wanted something, I would stop drinking to achieve it, whether it was... Um, having my son. I had my son when I was 20. I was a big time drinker, partier. We had fun. I was in college, got pregnant, 
well, you have to stop drinking, most people anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so I stopped drinking for a few years. And so therefore, Addie didn't have a problem. And then um, I thought, well, okay, I've achieved this. I'm, I'm in my early 20s. I'm running a multi-million dollar business. I'm traveling all over the country. My baby's going with me all over the country. My company was really, really good to me. And um, I went to a mixer and thought, you know what? You've been good. You can have one drink. It's okay. You're, you're going to be fine. And, um, you know, it took me a, the better part of almost 24 years to finally realize that, no, you're not okay. One drink is a thousand miles an hour in your world. And it always, for me, one drink turned into seven days a week of blackout drinking every evening. And so um, I would stop for many, many years. I went back to college a few times, finished a few different degrees, stopped for college because I also am a high achiever, wanted straight A's, couldn't do that if I had drinks in me. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> But I never, ever allowed myself to believe that it was the alcohol. It was, it was anything but that until in the end it it was all the alcohol and I finally had to succumb to it and say, you know, I'm, I'm powerless to it. And um, thankfully I didn't have, you know, I didn't have jail. I didn't have hospitalizations. I didn't lose jobs. I, I, um, but I was losing myself quickly. And my son was um, graduating high school and he had had a couple conversations with me and, and was concerned about me. And I'm, of course, was, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Let's get you graduated. You're moving on. You're doing your thing. Everything's going to be great. And um, I was covering it all up with my drinking to numb out the pain that I was feeling because I had no idea what I was going to do with myself not being a mom. And I was also no longer a wife. And I had never really truly just been on my own with myself. And so um, after he graduated that last, the the last year I drank, um, I just spiraled and would drink a fifth of vodka every single night, plus usually a bottle or two of wine so that I could black out and pass out. And it's truly amazing to me that I didn't get sick. I, I, that that's the number one piece is that I, I didn't damage my liver. I didn't, I didn't, none of those things that happened to other, what I call hardcore alcoholics did not happen to me. And I know that that I'm very, very much a very strong believer in God and in my faith. And I know that that was because he had bigger plans for me. He, he needed me sitting here tonight having this conversation with you. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've, I've touched so many lives with, with my recovery and my story. And, and um, I, I was always in trouble for how much I talked. And now, I, <laughs> now I'm like, hey, guess what? I don't get in trouble anymore because people want me to talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> they want to hear your story now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They want to know what Addie's doing. Um, you know, I, I just, the night that I quit drinking, it was April 1st of 2016. And I always laugh and joke about that, you know, April Fool's Day, it was my, my, my last night of being a fool. And, uh, and, uh, I like and that's that. totally not, yeah, it's yeah. totally not true. I, 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 I'm the biggest, I love being a clown. So, <laughs> but that night, 
um, I had gone through um, something that was embarrassing and, and heartbreaking with a man that I was dating. And, and um, I left his house with his best friend and we went to the bar and I had already called ahead. My, one of my best friends was the bartender at that particular bar and told her what had happened. And she said, well, get here. I'll get everybody else here, which was our other friends that we partied with. And, um, we drank fast and hard for a couple of hours. And at one point I realized I was standing out in the back patio of the bar in the dark, putting my name and phone number into somebody's phone. So I had blacked out, but was still wandering around doing whatever I did when I was blacked out and came to at that moment and had enough wits to me to delete my name and delete my phone number and hand the phone back and everything's real blurry. I could see the phone clearly in my memory, but I, I can't see the person or anything. And, and um, I, I hear this like almost overwhelmingly loud voice in my head. What about Alec? So Alec is my son. Mm. And, and I'm like, <laughs> did somebody actually say that? And I, and I'm thinking, no. And I, and I realized, yeah, exactly. What about Alec? If, if you, cause I was, I was drinking to be done that night. I, I was over it. I was, I, my heart hurt so bad for so many reasons. And that was kind of like the, the, what happened at his house was the, you know, the, the, the final, the final breaking point. And, um, as I was walking across the patio back to the door to go inside and I hear the music getting louder as I got closer to the door. And, but that voice in my head kept over and over. What about Alec? Who's he going to go to? Who, who are you leaving him to lead him as an adult? Where's he going? And I'm, and I'm, I'm hearing this over and over. And what is he going to think? And, and why did you bring him into this world to leave him now? And, and all those things are rushing through my head. And I'm like, what the heck? I got to be done. I have to be finished. I have to pull myself together because literally I didn't want to have kids. God gave me him in a moment of weakness when I was also drinking and he turned my life around and I raised this amazing, brilliant man. And I was about to make a decision that was going to hurt him for the rest of his life because I wanted out. And I, I had such an epiphany by the time I got to that door and I pulled that door open, felt the heat from the room. Like I can feel it like it was just yesterday. The music is playing, people are talking, the whole bar is full. And I look across the room and I see all my friends lined up at the end of the bar where we've been drinking. And I tell myself, this is it. This is it. You're going to go and you're going to have one last drink with all of them and you're done. We're not, we're not doing this ever again. You're done. And I had my phone in my hand and I wanted to know what time it was. I wanted to know the moment that I decided that I was finished forever. And so it was 11.57 p.m. on April 1st of 2016. I have no idea what that last shot was that I had, and I don't even care. I just wanted to know what time it was and what day it was, what year it was, because that was it. And the rest going forward has been full-blown. How does Addie get better and be the best she possibly can be for now myself, but also my son and everybody else that's involved in my life? So it's been six years. It's been six years. Do you miss <laughs> I it? Like I do not miss it. No, not a single neither moment. Do I. Mm -mm, no, neither no. Do and I. you know, I had some crazy, wonderful, amazing times, and and those 
those times were for the person I was then. And the person I am today, she doesn't need the alcohol to have crazy, amazing fun times. So in your case, and that's interesting, um, when, when you were saying, and if you don't mind me asking, yeah. when, you, when you say yeah, your, your son, what were you leaving him to? Did you think that, like, were, were there suicidal thoughts here or... Did you just think right. that your drinking was going to take you to death or what yeah. what did you mean yeah, by that? Yeah, so I I was I I didn't know at the at the time I wouldn't have I, at the time definitely I wouldn't have put suicide with it but it I basically was I was I was I was doing the the long strung out suicide that everybody was going to have to watch and everybody was going to be hurt over because I was going to I was going to drink myself to death but I was going to do it the way that Addie does it, which is fast and hard. And, mm. and in my son, so his dad, um, he's, his dad has been in the picture. Um, but we are very careful because he was addicted to meth for eight years. Mm-hmm. And so he's different now and he still doesn't hang around with the best people. And, and so Alec has always only spent, usually Sundays for dinner with him, with his family, with his, his mom and his dad, his, his Alex grandparents. And he doesn't spend a whole lot of time by himself with him or around his friends or anything like that, because he's, he's still a little scary, even though we know he doesn't use, he just doesn't hang around with the best people. Mm-hmm. So that was my thought was, holy cow, like, you're gonna, <laughs> that's not, we, we never intended for him to be the leader of his, of, of his life, um, because he can't even lead his own life. And, and Alec was, what, 19 years old when I quit drinking, 20, almost 20 when mm-hmm. I quit. And, um, yeah, he was going to turn 20 shortly after in September when I quit. And, and I thought, what if I drink myself to death and he turns 21 and he drinks himself to death? I failed everything. I failed our ancestors. I failed everybody. I failed our our generations behind us because I didn't break the curse of the alcoholism when I had the opportunity to. Yeah. And and so that's that's kind of another huge piece of this is is breaking those generational curses. I, I want to know that when he starts having children of his own, they only know lives that are addiction-free. Yeah. It's very well said. And Thanks. really, I think what it comes down to, and a lot of people need to understand that there, ultimately in each one of us, there's a decision that must be made. Right. A decision mm-hmm. to want to get better. And if you don't right. want to get better, you're not going to get better. You have to no. want to get better. And it sounds like you made that decision to your core, to your soul. I yeah. don't want oh, this yeah. anymore. It, it definitely was a soul, a soul decision. I, I truly in that moment was powerless to divine intervention. It was, it was happening all around me and there's no reason I should have not still been blacked out. There's there's absolutely no reason why I should have been as conscious and able to make that massive decision in that moment because of how much alcohol in just a about a two and a half hour span that I drank. Like I I should have probably either been hospitalized that night for alcohol poisoning or 
could have possibly OD'd to the point of death because of how much alcohol I had drank. And I know that it was God's hand reaching in and plucking me out with his voice loud and clear saying, "Mm -mm, not on my watch. We're not doing this tonight. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to, we're not going to do it at all in this lifetime. You're going to figure out something else to do. Yeah. And really the end result, when we talk about, you know, suicide, drinking or drugging the way that we did it is just a slow form of suicide. That's really all it is. Because that's Mm -hmm. where, that's where you're going to end up eventually. And, you know, people have to find that out the hard way, you know, thank goodness, you know, you, you made that decision to get well Mm -hmm. and you did not go to treatment. You're not one of the folks that went Mm -hmm. to a detox, went to a treatment. Tell us a little bit about that. So what was your path from there? So that, that night you made that decision and Mm -hmm. then uh, you somehow get home and you get up the next day. Where do we go from there? Right. Yeah. So, um, the next day I called a friend who had, I'd actually had an argument with a few days prior and he had cornered me and he said, are you an alcoholic? And, and in the midst of this heated argument, I was like <gasps> inside my body, I knew I was about to lie to him. And, and I just, you know, it was, it was a, a premonition of feeling I I'm, I, you're going to lie. You're going to lie bigger than shit to this man who's, fighting with you because he cares about you and you don't want him in your life because you want to continue down your toxic path. And, and I said, no, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm just fine. And I don't ever want to see you again. And, you know, we left it like that. And then fast forward two days later and I'm quitting in the middle of the night because I know I'm an alcoholic and I know it needs to stop. So I called him that next morning and apologized and told him what had happened. And he said, thank God. He said, I already know. I already knew. Everybody knows. And he said, can I tell you where you should go now? Is it okay for me to go ahead and tell you where to go now? And I said, yes, yes, because I don't know. I have no idea what to do. I don't know if I should go to the hospital. I don't know. I I literally don't know what to do. And I said, and I'm terrified because I know if I don't drink, I'm going to shake to death. That was the other thing. I was at the point where I was constantly shaking from head to toe if I didn't have something to drink in me. And um, and he said, well, you need to go to AA. And then this man that I'd been friends with for a few years, I had no idea he had been in recovery for seven years. I had no idea. And and he, when he would go out with us, he didn't drink. And I always thought because he offered to drive. I never... I never put it together because I was never around anybody in recovery. And um, so he took me to my first meeting and I got my, my 24 hour chip in AA um, <laughs> that he wasn't from here where we, where I'm from. He was, he was from Nevada. And so he didn't know, he didn't know the neighborhoods. He didn't know, he didn't know anything. And, and looking back on that, it was probably best because he took me, to an AA meeting where um, it's it's court appointed, and and I don't know how it is out there where you are, but that's that's really kind of like the scariest place to be when you're um, a corporate professional. Is is to be in that room with people who are gang members or really hardened criminals coming out of some sort of other issue and being appointed to AA or NA. And, and I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? Mm-hmm. What have I done? Although my insides 
were the insides of living in a gutter because I was so broken. And I I knew I fit in, even though that little tiny light that was still inside of me was mortified. And but I needed it. I needed to be mortified. I needed to have that hard truth put in my face of look, lady, if you don't get it together right now, you're going to be the one getting handcuffs removed from the jail van and walked into an AA meeting. You're going to be the one with your hospital wristband on being dropped off at your AA meeting and then brought back to the hospital. Like, like all of those thoughts were crossing through my mind as I was kind of scanning the room. And I was like, okay, remember this, remember this moment because you're never going to come back here again. You're never going to have to. You're going to do whatever it takes to never come back here. And then you're going to pay it forward so that other people don't have to either. So was that your last meeting or did you continue Mm-mm. going to meetings after that? So I continued. I, I went um, for nine months and I bounced around to different meetings until I found somewhat of a home group that I that I enjoyed going to. And the ironic thing is, is um, a lot of the people that were in that meeting when I found it are people that I was partied with in high school. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we, we all kind of came full circle with each other. And I was like, oh, wow, my people are here. <laughs> so the lucky it, ones. It, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. The lucky ones. And, you know, and, and um, it, it helped me remove the stigma of it that I had put on it myself. It, it, it was, I had put on having to go to AA, the stigma of such a derogatory negative thing because it meant that I was a quitter. I was a loser. I couldn't, you know, I might as well have, have, again, I might as well just finish the job instead of having to go there. And and that's not what it is. You you and I both know that. You know, it's it's a beautiful place for recovery that gives you a solid foundation to rebuild your life on and and figure out how to live a life of massive purpose. Yeah, and because so, you know in, our, in the midst of our drinking, yeah. you sound like a very driven, very goal-oriented person as am I. And yeah. frankly, yeah. many many of the people that are in recovery are anything but dregs of society right. downtrodden. In fact, it's my experience has been quite the opposite. Right. Many, That's many people in recovery are people that are very driven, very intelligent, very talented. It's not what people think, but the problem is that drinking and drugging takes those talents and the intellect and the goals and uh, the drive away. It's mm-hmm. the potential mm-hmm. of the people that you meet I know with me, yeah. it took it all away. Yep. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, you know, it's yeah. it's funny. It's I'm only now, at my age, beginning to realize my full potential. Right. Yeah. And and I'm fascinated by it. You know, I I love learning about the brain and all of the the abilities that it has, and and learning how toxic and I, like I told you earlier, ethanol is to us at a cellular level to to our brain power and when i go back and look at the moments in my life where i did 
my heaviest drinking at different times, I was literally doing that to shut my brain down so that I could dumb myself down to be around the people I was choosing to be around because they weren't using their brains or their lives at their full potential. So in order to fit in with different groups of people, I would do what I needed to do to kind of dull my smarts. And, and I now too know so many brilliant people that I realize a lot of times they did use whatever their substance was to dull their senses so that they could fit in with the people they were around instead of just going, hey, I'm extremely smart and I can't do what you're doing and I have to go find my own way mm -hmm. because that's not the popular choice. That's a very interesting way of looking at it. I don't know that I've ever looked at it that way. Yeah. That I, trying I, to fit in by dumbing yourself down to others. And um, I don't think most people are willing to admit that. <laughs> right. Well, it's an interesting way of looking at it because I think that yeah. we, we feel that we have to drink or drug to fit in. We, we mm -hmm. think that we, we have to, uh, you know, we, we were talking about this earlier that, you know, a lot of people that, that come into recovery, I was this way. And, and I know a lot of the patients that I worked with in my internship, a very, very common theme, you know, they would say, hey, Mike, how am I going to go to my daughter's wedding? How am I going to go to mm -hmm. uh, a graduation? How am I going to go to a, a, a business you know, travel? How am I going to travel for business? You know, people drink where I work. You know, we have these professional functions. And, mm -hmm. and I know in the business that you're in, you have a lot of functions where alcohol is involved. And so what am I going to do? I can't fit in. But the fact is that uh, you're going to fit in just fine because, uh, I, folks, not everybody drinks at these functions. Now, we think, right. people like you and I think that everybody drinks at these functions, but they actually don't. There's a lot of people that don't drink. Um, a lot of people don't believe this, but uh, about 60% of all Americans don't drink at all. That's kind of a shocker to a lot of people, and they say that's not true. No, it is true. It's just that the the 20% or so that do drink, drink about 80% of all alcohol. And mm -hmm. and that's who, like when you watch football games or, you know, any sports events and you saw this, this alcohol advertised, they're really targeting a small number of people, but it mm -hmm. magnifies it and you think that everybody does it, but they don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's because they're the loudest people in the room. Those are the loudest ads in the True. room. Those are, you know, that's the people who are the non-drinkers, they don't need to be loud. They don't, they don't need to be in the spotlight per se. They are just doing what they do and enjoying their lives. And, and that's kind of like where I'm at right now. I just enjoy my life and it's quiet. And, and when I need noise, I, I go find it. And, and for me, that's usually giving back in some way. I'm out volunteering. I'm, I'm on so many boards that it, because it, it feels good. It feels good to use my full brain power and all this, these skills that I've created over the years through all the many industries I've worked in and, and to be able to help nonprofit organizations be more successful with their revenues or their personnel or, you know, whatever it is that I can assist with their marketing plans. I, I love to share that knowledge and give it away. And I couldn't do that. I strove to do that. I, that was one of the things I strived for. But when I was drinking, I couldn't do it. And people knew me in a different light. They, they knew the girl that was fun when she had a couple drinks in her. They didn't really know the girl who, the woman who could show up and give a full presentation without actually having a PowerPoint behind her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and that's, that's, who I always was, but I could never get there because alcohol always 
messed my road up in front of me to get there. Yeah, it's a stumbling block. You know, I heard it yeah. described once. It's kind of like, um, and I know you're a runner, right? You. Uh, oh, I know. I'm not. I'm not yet a runner. I just love runners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, imagine this. So, just think of this analogy, right? Um, you, you let, okay, so you're you're starting to run again. Let's say you start your running program tomorrow, and I come and I watch you. And I notice that uh, uh, you're you're down in the sand and you're you're running in the sand and you're working and you're working and you're working and I and I'm standing up there and I go, hey Addy, um, uh, you know there's a sidewalk over here and um, it's a lot easier to run on the sidewalk up here. And you're like, oh no, I'm fine. And you just keep working and working and working and then finally, no, no, come on up here. And then you get up on the sidewalk and you realize, wow. It's a lot less effort. I can go faster and I can go far farther if right. I just get on this this path. And I think yeah. that our addiction is a lot like that. You know, we've we were able to do it. We were able to show up. We were able to work. And and in your case, in my case, you know, I I was actually looking back on it, still working at a fairly high level. Yeah. But it wasn't. But it was a high level based on what I what I was doing. And it wasn't until I stopped drinking. And got on the sidewalk, I realized, oh, wait a minute, that wasn't my potential. What I thought was a high level was not near as high as what I could have. Right. So it's kind of yeah. the same way. It's yeah. like, you know, it's a hell of a lot easier to run on the sidewalk than it is on the, the sand and the beach, right? Exactly. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, it's, and, you, and you're a lot less pissed off, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember just being so angry because everything seems so hard. Let me just have a drink because that'll make it not so hard. Holy cow, what a lie. Well, it actually made it harder. <laughs> It made it so a much lot harder. harder. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In you our know, health, and office. you know, speaking of which, I mean, yeah. our uh, our health. You know, I I was, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know about your drinking, but at the end of my drinking, I was having all kinds of health problems that I'd never had before. And mm -hmm. frankly, since I've stopped drinking, have not had since. Uh, mm -hmm. It's amazing that you know those things those things go away there's a lot right. of things that, that go away and you know i'm getting older so i mean there's there's other other problems that develop that have nothing to do with your drinking but i couldn't imagine right. what i would be like with getting older and drinking i, I would have just compounded my problems multiple oh, times yeah absolutely yeah you know my mom <laughs> so my mom my mom's a master cosmetologist and has owned numerous salons in her career and has done that the majority of my lifetime. So, so in the beauty industry, you know, age is a big deal. And um, one day I was at her house and this is while I was toward the end of my drinking. And she says, man, you're sure looking old. And I thought, oh shit, <laughs> that's the alcohol. Cause my parents are aging really well. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, so that was, that was another, another piece of it too, was vanity, sheer vanity. I did not want to age any faster than I was already going to age. And it's, it's astounding to me to look at, I'm, I'm 30 pounds heavier than I was when I quit drinking and my face looks better than it did when I was drinking because I was so puffy and so aged and so colorless. My eyes were dark. I have beautiful green blue eyes and they were so dark all the time. You could hardly ever tell in pictures what color they were. And it's, it's just amazing to see the transition over the years. The longer I have in my recovery, the more amount of time that I have built up, how, much my skin is is nowhere near it what the way as old as it was at 39 yeah where i'm at at 46 and and i 
if I had stayed drinking and smoking cigarettes because I had to smoke cigarettes while I drank because they went hand in hand, you know, I just, wow, I, I probably would be minus a few teeth in my head because I know my teeth were struggling and, uh, but my skin for sure, I, I, I would have looked closer to my mom's age probably if I hadn't stopped and she's 64. Yeah. I remember, I don't remember how long it was a year, maybe two years, somewhere in there. I remember I ran into a guy. Well, uh, I worked with a guy in a particular unit that I was in. And then he retires. And then, you know, so when he retires, I'm drinking. By the time he comes back he, he afterwards, he's working as a contractor. And he comes back to our unit because he's doing some work for our organization. But as a contractor. But the difference is, the last time I'd seen him, I was drinking. And I remember he came in and he's walking around and there was a group of us standing there and he comes up and he starts talking to everybody in the group, you know, just kind of catching up, uh, you know, Hey, what, you know, what, what's going on? What's new, you know, just catching up. And he's talking to everyone in the group except for me. And I was pissed off. I thought, what is wrong with this guy? You know, like that's rude. And I, I was, I was pretty pissed. And when we were done talking, everybody started walking away and he, he takes a deeper look at me and he goes, Mike, I said, yeah. He goes, oh my God, I, di- I didn't recognize you. He goes, I, I'm so sorry. He goes, I thought you were just some stranger that walked up. He goes, I, did you change your hairstyle? Did you, um, mm-hmm. are you working out more? What, what, I, he goes, you just look different. I don't, I, I don't know what it is. And, uh, you know, back in those days, I, I, I didn't openly talk about my recovery and mm-hmm. he could not mm-hmm. figure out why I looked different, but, but I knew why I looked, yeah. I was like, wow. I must look so different. This guy doesn't even recognize me from before. And that's yeah. amazing. Um, it is. It, 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 that's the trend. And I'll tell you something. In the treatment center that I, I work at, and we're talking a couple of years, and, and in your case, six years, you know how mm-hmm. different your skin mm-hmm. is and you look. I got to tell you, when I have patients that, that come into the treatment center, um, they're disoriented, uh, detoxing. Uh, they're all malnourished. Everybody's malnourished when they come into the tree. Absolutely yeah. malnourished. Yeah. Um, and and that's, that doesn't matter if it's alcohol, drugs, or all the above. In fact, many of the patients mm-hmm. are all the above. But you give them... Um, like I, I would be there for four days and then, you know, the patients would come in and so I'd be gone Friday, Saturday, Sunday and I would come in Monday morning. And the same... Uh, patient that couldn't even hold a conversation with me on Thursday and looked horrible. It almost seems like a different human being by Monday morning when I right. when I come in, and that's just three four days. That's not we're mm-hmm. not talking two three four five years. Um, right. it, it that's how it's poisonous alcohol. Yeah. Just stick with alcohol. How poisonous it is to your body. And once we get that poison yeah. out of you and and start giving you nutrition and um, you know just detoxing water, you, water, sunlight, yeah. food, talk. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing yeah. the difference just it, it, in a few days. Really yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. It, I feel and wild. I feel like I'm talking to a different person by Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know again you compound that by years not just days. It's yeah. folks, I, when I tell my story now and and I'm sure you feel the same way when I tell my story I feel like I'm almost talking about a different person. I don't even feel like I'm talking totally. about me anymore. Mm-hmm, totally. Yeah, that's I, that's absolutely how it feels. And, and, um, you know, I keep I keep some of those hurts close by, so that I always remember how I felt because I don't ever want to be in that pink cloud situation where I'm good. I got it. 
And, you know, because I, I, I don't ever want to, I don't tell anybody I've got it. I don't tell anybody no. in business I've got it. I don't tell anybody in recovery I've got it. I don't tell anybody in whatever, you know, air quotes, normal life is that I've got it because we don't, it's, it's not ours to get. It's, it's, if you have a higher power, it's theirs. And, and I'm just, I'm just following orders. He's, he's directing my path and I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, I'm living a beautiful, healthy life because of it. And I'm so grateful. So for anybody that's listening, that may be struggling, and, and as you know, this, this podcast is uh, about addiction and recovery. And I know that a lot of people that are still drinking, still drugging, and they're searching you know, they're kind of like how you and I were, you know, the seeds had been planted and, and maybe they're scrolling through looking for a podcast to listen to and for a message of, of hope. Uh, for that person that's just out there on the edge right now wondering, you know, what what am I going to do? What's if, you know, they can't imagine living a sober life, but they also know that they can't continue living the way that they're living right now. And we've all got got to that point. What would you say to them? I would say to them, find the thing that you know you couldn't live without. And and like for me, it was my son. I never imagined living a single day of my life without him. Therefore, I I know because we're, our relationship is so strong, I know that he doesn't want to live a single day without me in his life. And you've got to find something bigger than you and attach yourself to it. It's got to be bigger than that bottle, bigger than those pills, whatever it is that you're, you're using. It's got to be bigger than that, something that makes you want to love life, love yourself, find yourself and, and run for it. You know, in, in the beginning, my why was my son. And I have always said that he was the reason my heart beats. He was the reason there's air in my lungs. He was the reason my feet moved every day. And I had to make it about that. Um, and, and then once I got through the guilt of thinking, Jesus, I almost killed myself and I almost left him behind. And he was always my reason to live. All of a sudden, I'm my own reason to live. And 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 it happens. And I didn't believe, you know, that the old timers in the rooms early on, I was like, the promises, there's no way those promises are going to come true. And I remember the particular meeting that I had that first thought in. And I've held on to that thought because as my promises come true, I'm like, wow, they were right. And, you know, you should, mm-hmm. I, I do tell people when they're struggling, hey, one day you're going to wake up and you're going to want what I have. You're going to want what that next person has. And, and, and I can't give you a jar of, of my fairy dust. I wish I could, but you have to go through your own mud to get to that, that pavement on the other side that's clean and, and, and sparkling in the sunshine for you. Yeah, and this whole concept, I think people get hung up on the whole concept of a higher power. I know in the treatment center, when we introduce people to the first three steps, and in a 28-day treatment program, that's really all you can do is even just introduce them to, you know, the different Mm -hmm. tools that are out there. And the whole idea of higher power or God is, just seems to be something that, uh, something bigger than you yeah but i mean they but people struggle with that and i mm-hmm. and i i used to um not joke about it but it was just 
I, it was like an observation that I'd, I'd made, you know, I, and I, w- I would talk to some of the patients and I would say, you know, it's interesting because they, they, they debate and they, you know, you're not going to sell me on God and I don't, I, I don't believe in God. I hate God or whatever, whatever. It's just, there's so many people. I mean, they're different, you know, oh, different yeah. um, viewpoints on that and they'll debate you on this. And I say, I would say, let me get this straight. So Friday, when you came in here, you were face down in your own vomit in a ditch. And Monday morning, you're in here, and your biggest issue is whether or not we're trying to sell you on God. All of a sudden, you've become a theologian, right? So we're de- we're debating deep theology. <laughs> so it's, it's amazing how your life has changed from Friday when you were face down in your own vomit to now we're going to discuss heavy theology on Monday morning, you know? And it, as if this is your big issue, issue. But I always tell people, relax. We're not trying to sell you on God. Because mm-hmm. you, as you just pointed out, your higher power could be just a reason for living. Whether In your case, it was your son. Maybe it's you have uh, other goals in your life that you want to do. Some it, it just has to be something other than you, mm-hmm. something yeah, other than you. But it has we, to be bigger than you. And don't yeah. come and tell me the doorknob is your higher power. The doorknob <laughs> is not your higher power. Okay, right. it, 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 it can't be something inferior to you. It has to be something greater than you. I mean, do you agree with mm-hmm. that? Oh yeah, totally. I absolutely agree with that. And and I think that, you know, that that correlates to so many different things in our lives and especially as human beings. No matter what it is we're striving for, needing to come out of or recover through or or whatever, there has to be some sort of big shiny object on the other side that we need to get to. It, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you know, in 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 what I do for an, for a living, I'm I'm the director of sales and marketing and business relations for a hotel, and I, I we have big goals all the time. And and if I don't have that that budget to to reach, I don't really know what my goal is. And you know, I'm I can I can run all day long and sell hotels and hotel rooms and and sign contracts, but. In the in the bigger scheme of things, what does that actually mean? Why am I doing it? You know, that's that's what I was trying to get at was find your why. Mm-hmm. Period. You you have to find your why. And I'm sorry, all of us were hurt. All of us come from some sort of traumatic event that wasn't our fault at some point in our lives. And you have to find a way to make peace with that and move forward. Yeah, and, it's kind of I don't know how you're wired. But what's, you know, we were talking about running and, and physical fitness. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if your goal is to to lose weight or you get in better health, whatever the case may be, I just know how Mike is wired. And I know that in early on in recovery is where actually where I, where I discovered this. You know, I, like a lot of people, I got into physical fitness when, when I got into recovery. It's amazing. We spend all that time abusing <laughs> our, our bodies and then we get into recovery and then we're like health nuts, you know. And right, right. <laughs> it's not uncommon, as you know, for many people to get into Ironman triathlon and marathon. Right. It's very common. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And but, I think that's why I'm fascinated by those people. You know, yeah. I, I, I think, gosh, I'm going to strive to be one of those people. I don't really think that I can. I'm <laughs> You can. <laughs> I know I can, but I don't think I necessarily want to because that level is wild. Well, but, but here's what I'm driving at, though. Um, when I when I first got into um, 
into recovery, and this is, I've, I've had some back surgeries and probably as a result of some of the stuff that I did after I got into recovery, yeah. but mm-hmm. uh, that's another story for another day. But I got into um, cycling, running. I did a whole episode on how I started teaching spin classes and why I started teaching spin classes and mm-hmm. and um, would do these events and running events. And what would happen is I would put, let's just say a marathon, you know, I'm, I'm hey, I'm going to do a marathon in November and I would put it on the calendar. And I would train to it. So I have this goal. So I'm pushing towards this goal. And guess what? There are all kinds of benefits. I lost weight. I got healthier. My aerobic capacity went up. Um, I got to the point where, you know, whereas I used to be afraid to go to the doctor to have the physical because I think like, first of all, they're going to lecture me about my weight and then my triglycerides and my cholesterol, you know, but I actually got to the point where when I was training for this stuff, um, I actually had some doctors say to me, like, because my resting heart rate got down to like 45, which is wow. very low. Yeah. That's super low. Yeah. Especially for an athlete. Y- yeah. Right? Well, I'm not, trust me, I'm, you're not going to confuse <laughs> me with a professional athlete, but, but my heart rate went down. And so it, it, I went from being afraid to go to the doctor to, I almost would go into the, the doctor's office to go, Hey, wow. You know, you're for a, you know, uh, it, you know, at that time you're, you're, you're a 52 year old man. Holy cow. Your heart rate is like that of a professional athlete. And we never see guys your age. And the, you know, and I was like, wow, that's great. Cause I used to abuse myself. I used to drink myself to death, you know, <laughs> right. but here's what would happen is I would do those events. Let's just say a marathon and I would do it. And then a week later, I'm like, I would just feel depressed I, I, uh, I should go run today. Nah, I'm not going to go run. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to, my diet would go to crap. And then Uh what I realized is, oh, and then my wife would say, hey, you should do this half marathon over here. And I would sign up and immediately, once I put that on the calendar, I'm back to training and I'm back to the diet. So what I realized, what works for Mike is having those goal, constantly striving for a goal. It's when I no longer have goal. And that's what my drinking did for me was I stopped having goals. Is that how you feel? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I had a goal. I had a goal to get to five o'clock so I could clock out and get my drink in me. (laughs) Well, I guess that is a goal. (laughs) We need different goals. Yeah. Yeah. But no, but, but truly, yeah, I, I stopped aspiring. You know, I, I had an office in Philadelphia on the 26th floor of a skyscraper in my heyday. And I thought, man, this is it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on top of the clouds in this building. I'm, I'm traveling a half, you know, two, two weeks out of every month to Philadelphia to do my job. And my, my stepkids were thriving. My son was thriving. My home was thriving. And, but I was slowly dying because I was drinking when I was on the road away from everybody. And, you know, and, and I was, that's where, my goals started slipping and I stopped striving because I thought I made it. I made it to the 26th floor. That was never my goal. And that was never my super producer moment. It, it, it was just something to keep me away from dealing with what was going on in my real life, mm-hmm. just, just like the alcohol. And, you know, and, and so now when I see somebody get it, whether it's in their recovery, whether it's professionally, where I'm mentoring, where I'm volunteering, when I see that light in their eyes and they get it, that's now where I feel successful. I've helped the next person light up and I know they're going to run with their torch and they're going to help the next person light up. And that's kind of the secret to recovery. 
is mm-hmm. we have found, without a doubt, that when we are helping other people get well, we tend to get well, whether they do or they don't. It's right. about give, constantly giving back, giving back mm-hmm. that gift and, and helping others. It's kind of a weird dynamic, but it is so true. And you hear so many people in recovery say that. As long as I'm working with you, I tend to get better. Mm-hmm. It pushes me. And and when I come up against somebody, like I was telling you with my, my sponsor, who's one of my best friends now, um, you know, I, I pushed her as a sponsor because I, I was hard headed. I, I don't, I'll, I'll get through the AA stuff, but AA is not my thing. I want something else. I need more. And it forced her outside of her box to figure out how to continue helping me and how to continue mentoring me and mm-hmm. being a part of my life and guiding me through it. And, and she's, she's so, well, she's so funny because when we talk, she's always like, Addie, I cannot believe I'm a recovery counselor. I cannot believe I'm getting my degree for this, that, and that. I cannot believe I got licensed for this, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, you know, we, we don't realize how powerful we are to each other when we're all striving. That, that's what it is. It's, it's a constantly moving forward, mm-hmm. whether we're mm-hmm. helping others and adapting and changing and, you know, I've often said to to people, and I believe that this is the case, if you really want to know the direction of your life, because you made the statement, and I just wrote this this down, called find your why. You know, a lot of times when we look at the direction of our life, we can start by looking at the end of our life. Because we're all going to die. We're all all not getting, none of us are getting out of this place alive. And imagine your funeral, because we're all going to have one. Mm -hmm. And imagine... Who's going to be there? Is anyone going to be there? But hopefully there will be people there. But what are they going to say about you when you finally are put in the ground? What are they Mm going to say? And think about what you want them to say. And that might actually change a few decisions that you make. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm going to take it one step further because this is this is how I think about that. That end stage is. When I get to God and he shows me who he actually created me to be, I want to be able to look at her and be that person. Yeah. I want I want her to look back at me and we're the same person. We we did everything we were created to do and we became everything we were created to become. I I don't I don't want to get there and go, "Man, I missed the bus on that one." I I want to get there and be who I was supposed to be. Yeah, so well said. So with that, Addie, if yeah. you could just let our listeners know if they want to get hold of you, listen to your yeah. podcast, and, and I know you have a website, put all that mm-hmm. out there and we'll we'll go ahead okay. and wrap up. Okay, absolutely. Thank you for this, Mike. It was so much fun. Um, so you can find uh, my podcast at, um, we're, we're on Buzzsprout. So you can go to Buzzsprout, you can go to Spotify, you can, any any of those podcast listening sites, it's Over a Cup of Coffee with Jamie and Addie. Um, we also have our website and all of our um, episodes are linked to the website and that is coffeechatnm, like New Mexico.com. And um, if you want to friend me on social media, I am on Facebook at Addie Betancourt, and I'm also on Instagram. And my Instagram, I try and keep it a little more um, open about my recovery and things like that. So it's it's an open platform on it, and it's Addie, A-D-D-I-E, 
the initial B, like my last name, Betancourt, and the number four, so Addie B4 at Instagram. Oh, that is awesome. And thank you so much for coming on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. It was great. Yeah, no problem. So, folks, this episode has been sponsored by FHE Health. According to SAMHSA, first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and cleared for duty. So find out more at fhehealth.com. Guys, you know, as always, I'd like to say I don't represent any group. I know we talk about groups, but I and Addie don't represent them, and I don't represent anyone other than myself. My only purpose in giving this information is to share with you what I've done because it's helped me, and maybe it will help you too. So, guys, once again, check us out on Facebook. Check out our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com, and thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk with you soon. Take care, guys. See you next time.